feel the presence of the Lord, the great grace of God. We've had a wonderful week. Anybody been blessed by God this week? I'm telling you, God's touched us every night, and I'm so thankful for what the Lord has done. I appreciate everything you've done for Joan and, and for me, all the hospitality, the good place to stay, the good food, and well, just everything, and uh, just spoiling her just a little bit more. That's all right. You just go ahead and spoil her. I'll have to deal with that next week, won't I? You got her to spoil? No, nah, I'm kidding. Uh, I think that's probably uh, the other way around, truth be known. But uh, so good to be here, and we've had a great time. You've been so receptive to the Word of God, and it's so much easier to bring the Word when people receive the Word than it is when they're... Uh, you know, they just don't want to hear what God has to say, but you're open, and I feel like you're ready tonight for the Word of God. Are you ready for the Word tonight? And it is good, as Brother Andy has said, Brother Tim, Brother Eddie, two of my very precious, closest friends to be here uh, with us tonight. They drove a long way just to be in this service, and I appreciate that so much. I appreciate the offerings, everything. Just want you to know that uh, our prayers are that God will continue to bless your church. I believe that he's going to. I believe this is harvest time. I believe the fields are white. I believe God's going to uh, uh, give you a harvest. It's so good to see Brother Steve Arrington with us. He's been here every night, but Wednesday, I do believe, or maybe Wednesday, Thursday. But anyway, he's been here, and we appreciate him. and. Uh, thank the Lord for the good report, what God's doing in his church, and we do, and so what, uh, we're going to the book of Acts chapter 3 tonight, if you stand with us for prayer, we'll go to prayer, remain standing for the reading, the word of God, and we're going to get right into this message tonight, and uh, let the Lord help us. Our Father in heaven, we are indeed grateful that you have allowed us another opportunity, another privilege to come to this place to spend another week with these precious people of God, this precious pastor, his wife, this congregation, and this great church. Throughout this week, Lord, we have watched and witnessed as you have done great and wonderful things in the lives of individuals. We pray tonight, God, that this service would be no different, but that here tonight lives will be touched and changed, faith will grow, to a point, Lord, that we can reach out and touch our God. Anoint your servant to preach, your people to hear. Pray a continued blessing upon this church. Do give them a great harvest of souls in this last and final day. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In the book of Acts chapter 3, we want to begin reading there with the first verse. You know this story well, but we'll look at it again tonight. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And you may be seated. I want to talk to you tonight about this great miracle that we read to you about. This is, uh, so far as it is, the first recorded miracle of healing uh, after the day of Pentecost. This is the first time that the promise of Jesus Christ was really put to the test. Uh, 
the promise that he said, the works that I do shall you do and greater than these because I go to my Father. And this is the first time, recorded time, that that promise was put to the test and it did not fail. They did the works of Christ just as Christ would have done. It is a powerful miracle. A man here laid at this gate, a powerful, powerful miracle. Verse 7 said that Peter took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. I like that word immediately. I like words like immediately and suddenly and, and words like that that mean that things just happen. But as we look at the Word of God, we look even at this miracle, and even though the word immediately is used, and, we, and it did happen immediately, but there's also something that has to happen before we can get to that point of immediately or suddenly. I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes by the help of God on the subject, Four Small Steps to a Mighty Miracle. And those of us in this house tonight that need a miracle, I think it would be good if we would hear the Word of God and realize that sometimes God has to prepare us for a miracle. There has to be preparations made before the miracle can happen. And I do believe that those of us that can testify and witness that we have experienced miracles in our life will agree as we look back upon our lives, that there were some things that happened as God prepared us for that great miracle. I want to mention something very briefly here about this miracle uh, before that we get into the message, those four small steps to a mighty miracle. Uh, this, this story has intrigued me for a long, long time. For you see, the last time that Jesus Christ was in Jerusalem, when you go back and read the account in the gospel, when he rode in on the donkey that, that day, and then, uh, of course, by the end of that week, they had scourged him, they had crucified him, they had placed him in a grave. But on his last trip into Jerusalem, he went again the second time into the temple and cleansed the temple. He went in and drove out the money changers and those that bought and sold doves, turned over their tables and cleansed the temple and got them out of the house of God. And the Bible said the blind and the halt and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them all. All those that came in, they were healed by Christ on his last trip in the Jerusalem before the crucifixion, resurrection, and his ascension. But I read that how that these came to Christ. The lame came and were healed. But then I go to the third chapter of the book of Acts. And I read of a lame man that was brought daily to the gate of the temple every day. He was lame from his mother's womb, but he was brought daily to the beautiful gate. And here, even though these lame men that came to Christ in the temple that they were healed, but Christ departed that temple and left this man lame by that beautiful gate, and he was not healed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, if you want to backslide, right now is a good time to do it. When you think of all the people that got a miracle that day, but Jesus exited that temple, perhaps he exited by this very gate, and he left this one man lame by that gate. Have you ever felt like the one that was left out? Have you ever, same man, have you ever felt like the one, Brother Andy, that was left out? Everybody in the service got filled with the Holy Ghost but you. Everybody in the service, you know, everybody in the revival got healed but you. You were the only one that was left out. I thought a lot of times how this lame man must have felt as he sat that day by that beautiful gate and his comrades, his beggar buddies that had sat with him for days and years and days and months, they came out of that temple walking and running and shouting, I'm healed, I'm 
I'm healed. And there he sat yet lame and not able to walk. Have you ever thought about that? You ever felt like the one that was left out? Well, if you're going to backslide, that's a good time to do it, I guess. You're the one that was left out. But I'm going to encourage you right here. Don't backslide because you feel like the one that was left out. It might just be that God has reserved your miracle for another day and another time for a very, very special purpose. You see, Christ is crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. He's seen of the disciples for 40 days. They're in the upper room for 10 days. We're looking somewhere between 50, 60 days or so. Would you be willing to wait two months for your miracle if God had a special purpose? Would you be willing to wait? Yes, sir, preacher, I don't understand. Well, let me tell you what happened. Yet see, the last day Christ was in the temple, there were people healed. They just got healed. They went home healed. They enjoyed their healing, but that was all there was to it. All their testimony included was, I am healed. I am healed. I got healed. I was healed, but this man is healed, and I want to tell you something about his testimony the day that he was healed. He would go, if, if, if this is the way it happened, he could have gone from church to church, synagogue to synagogue, to give his testimony and say, on this day, I was healed, but on this day, not only was I healed, but 5,000 souls were saved because I got healed. Would you be willing to wait two months for your miracle if it meant 5,000 souls would be saved when your miracle happened? Would you be willing to wait a few more days for your miracle if it meant one soul was saved because they saw you healed? On the day that this man was healed, 5,000 souls were born into the brand new church in the kingdom of God. So somebody get your hands up and say, I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to wait for my miracle because the day my miracle happens, there's no telling what's going to take place. We love the fact that God does things unannounced. A lot of times we're not expecting it. It just comes to pass. The scripture is certainly true that a lot of things happen suddenly. Wouldn't it be wonderful if bang, God just do some wonderful things suddenly in this house tonight. Well, just get ready. It may happen. We're told from the word of God uh, that Pentecost, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when that day was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. We read the account of the Saul of, Saul of Tarsus as he was going down to Damascus when the Bible said as he was going down that road that suddenly a great light shone round about him. This lame man, the word immediately, it could have been suddenly, but immediately was used. But I want to tell you ladies and gentlemen, there was something that led up to Pentecost happening suddenly. Jesus Christ had spent three years and better teaching that Pentecost was coming. He had spent three years in better saying that I'm going to the Father and he's going to send you another comforter. Before Pentecost could happen suddenly, it had to be preached. Before Pentecost could happen suddenly, it had to be believed. Before Pentecost could happen suddenly, there had to be 120 people that tarried in an upper room for 10 days before Pentecost could happen suddenly. Before Saul could see a light shine suddenly around about him on the road to Damascus, he had to stand and watch a man by the, by the name of Stephen stoned and die. He had to stand and see a man as he was dying and watch him as his face began to shine as if, had, as if it had been an angel. Before a light could shine, shine suddenly upon Saul of Tarsus. He had to hear a dying man cry out 
to God and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Before a man named Saul of Tarsus could see a light, suddenly he had to hear a dying man say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. There has to be preparation for suddenly. And so this man that is healed immediately, he is healed immediately, but I want us to talk about what it takes to get us to the point of suddenly, what it takes to get us to the point of immediately four small steps to a mighty miracle. If you would notice with me, even though the word immediately is used here, Brother Greg, the word immediately is used. But when Peter and John got there, well, it's a miracle. You know, they were preachers and they were going to pray. That's almost a miracle in itself nowadays to get some preachers to pray. But they didn't just get there and walk up and bang, it happened. But there was a dialogue. There was a conversation. There were some things that happened. Let's look at it for a moment. When Peter walked up and there's that lame man sitting there by that gate called beautiful, begging alms, and, and holding out his hand, holding out his cup, holding out his beggar's cup, where those legs lame never walked in his life. But Peter looked at him. Listen, we'll get to the immediately in a moment. But first of all, Peter said, look on us. Look on us. He was sitting there watching the crowd go by, watching his cup, listening for the clink of a coin in the bottom of his cup waiting for someone to open their purse and drop in a, a, a token or a tepin or whatever it was, a shekel into his cup. When Peter walked up, he said, look on us. The first step to this miracle was this man's focus has to be changed. He has to take his eye off of his lameness. He has to take his eye off of the emptiness of his cup. He has to take his eye off of the fact that he is a beggar. Come on, say man. He has to take his eye off of his lot in life. Ladies and gentlemen, a miracle will never come as long as we sit there and stare at the problem. A miracle will never happen as long as we sit there and moan and groan and grieve over the lack of coins that are in our cup. So the command of Peter was given to look on us, not because Peter was something beautiful to look on or John was something beautiful to look on, but he realized if this man's going to be healed, his focus must change. He must get his eye and his mind on something other than the situation that he is in. I want to tell somebody tonight that a miracle is in your future, but as long as you sit there and look at the problem, as long as you sit there and are consumed by that need, as long as you sit on your pew, sit in your chair, lie on your bed or wherever it is, and that's the only thing you can think about is the problem, the destitution. You're never going to get to that point of suddenly and immediately in your life. The first words of Peter when he said, look on us, were spoken to change the crippled man's focus, to get his attention on something other than his need. Humanity is focused on our need, and sometimes it almost takes a miracle to get us to look away from the problem and look at something else. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a man that can heal you. There's a man that can deliver you. There's a man that can set you free, but he can't do it until you look at him. Oh, time and time in the word of God, we're taught that your focus has to shift. It, my God, I'm talking to somebody tonight. You're watching the wrong people. 
They're watching their own crowd. This beggar watching those people come in. He sees a man in rags. Brother Otis, he says, oh my. He doesn't have any money. He sees a woman, ladies and gentlemen, in tattered clothes. And he said, there's no hope there. He sees a man in gay clothing. Said, I may get something here. But ladies and gentlemen, Peter said, you got to look away from that problem. I want some of you tonight. You see that boy on drugs. You see that companion consumed by alcoholism. Always oh, somebody to help me preach a little here. And that's all you can think about. I've come to turn your attention away from a girl that looks hopelessly addicted to drugs. And I want you to start looking to a hill outside of Jerusalem called Calvary where a man bled and died to set your baby free. My God say amen. Some of you have read the doctor's report over and over and over again. Can I call your attention away from your doctor's report and get you to focus on the man that let him tie him to a whipping post and beat his back and then declare by his stripes we're healed. Can I call somebody's attention tonight to a man who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're healed. Change the focus. We, we just may get to a suddenly moment here tonight because for a few minutes you're going to look away from the problem and look away to Christ. Is that all right? Numbers chapter 21, Israel's in the wilderness going from Egypt to the promised land. Hear me well. They get to murmuring. They get to complaining. No water. Tired of this light bread, they said. Tired of eating angel food. Oh, dear God. In human nature, a mess. It doesn't matter what God does. We get tired of it after a while. It ain't no more shout right there. That job you prayed in 10 years ago, you hate it today. All right, whatever. They get to murmuring. They get to grumbling, complaining. God doesn't like that. God does not like for people to take the breath that he gives them and complain about what he does or doesn't do for you. If I was God and I'm not, if I was God, and I put breath in somebody, and they use that breath to complain about me and about what I did and didn't do. I just would be tempted to pull that breath right out of that body. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring, tired of this manner, tired of this journey. God said, all right, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let some fiery serpents come among you. Do you ever stop to think? There's a devil out there, folks. He wants to kill us all. He's a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. But do you ever stop to think that sometimes some of these problems we brought on ourselves? Now, that's not very popular preaching, but sometimes we bring these problems on ourselves. We abuse this old body. We ah, oh, save hand to me, somebody. Oh, we better not go there. But, you know, we, we can talk about a lot of things there. But now they're getting snake bit. There's snakes crawling around there everywhere. And, and, and you're just walking around, and everybody's looking under every bush and every rock. They're looking for a snake everywhere they go, you know. There's snakes everywhere. That's all they've got there mind on snakes. They're looking for viper under there, under there, under there, everywhere. They're just looking for snakes. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to find what you're looking for if you're not careful. Say amen. And they walk around looking for those serpents and they get bit. Bite him on the leg and then he sits down over there and all he can do is sit there and look at that leg and watch that leg swell or that arm. Watch that arm swell. Do that and it won't be long you'll die. I said it won't be long you'll die. 
and they're getting snake bit and they're falling dead. But you know something? God told Moses, he said, Moses, and this is not a quote, but it's a, it fits pretty well. He could have said it like this. Moses, as long as they sit around and watch that leg, that arm swell, they're going to die. I want you to give them something else to look at, boy. I want you to give them something else to see. I want you, my God, I want you to give them something else that can get their attention off of a swelling ankle. He said you take a, make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole, and tell everybody that can refocus your attention off of your snake bit leg onto that serpent. You won't die. You'll live. Can I tell somebody tonight there's a Christ out there. Look on him and live. Sometimes we get confused by that story. How in the world can a brazen serpent on a pole give me life? How can the image of that that's killing me save my life? Well, that's a good question, and I've got a good answer. How can an image of that that is killing me save my life? Alcohol's killing you, right? So we'll hang a beer bottle on a pole. You look at that beer bottle and you live. Dear God, I got you now. Drugs are killing you. Open up. Uh, you know, I, I won't start naming pills. So to live, you hang a bottle of those pills on a pole. Look at it. How's that going to help you? You snake bit and you're dying. Hang an image of a snake on a pole and you live. Well, I'll take a few minutes to explain that. That old shepherd, you know, we think of it, you know, up there with his tongue out and him. No, that wasn't the way it was at all. I promise you, I believe this with all my heart. We get there, I said the other night, we get to heaven. You remind me, we'll ask the Lord if it was this way. If it wasn't, I'll apologize. You know what that thing was? He made that brazen serpent. I believe this with all my heart. He made that pole, sharpened that pole, and when he cast that serpent of brass, he put a hole right up through that devil's head. Are you listening to me? And he stuck the point of that pole right up through that serpent's head, and it hang limp down that pole. You said, preacher, you ain't got no scripture for that. Guess I do. He went into that garden and looked at that serpent and said, there's coming a seed of that woman. You're going to bruise his heel. He's going to bruise your head. You know what you're looking at when you're looking at that pole? You're looking at the thing that's killing you hanging on a cross. You're looking at the thing that's tearing you down hanging on a cross. You're looking at sin. That's what it was. Sin died on that cross. Yeah, it's the image of a serpent, but it's a dead serpent. I do believe you may just see your beer bottle on that cross because on that cross, Jesus bore that sin and you look away and see that sin died, that addiction died, but you gotta refocus. Look on us. Some of you tonight are here. You're here to spy out the land. Is this thing about Christ really real? Is he really a savior of men's souls? Does he really deliver men from sin? My God. Oh, Father. Does he really set the attic free? Yes. So you've come here tonight to spy out the land. You've come here tonight to witness. Is it real? Well, I want to tell you, you may look around in this house tonight. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm just preaching, okay? But you may look around this house tonight and say it's not real because there's a man that's had the same problem I've had for 49 years, and he's been to church and never got set free. You may look around tonight 
and see a family that's never been healed. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. When you're spying out the land, there's two things you can see. You can see the giants that stand in your way, or you can see the milk and the honey that's flowing through that land. What have you got your eyes on tonight? What are you looking at tonight? Yes, you can find a failure. Yes, you can find one that made a start and went back. But I'll tell you what you can also find in this house tonight. If you look hard enough, you can find one that came all the way down from heaven, all the way down from the Father's right hand. If you look hard enough, if you look hard enough in this service tonight, you can find one that grew in the womb of a virgin and she birthed him in Bethlehem and laid him in a manger, got out of that manger and made a beeline for Calvary. You can find one that went all the way to pay the price for your deliverance. Micah said it. Isaiah said it. Isaiah said, prophesying of Christ, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Micah said it this way, therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. David said it like this, I will lift up mine eyes under the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. So the first step, small step, toward a mighty miracle tonight, I call on you passionately. Forget the pain and look at Christ. I call on you passionately tonight. Forget the problem and look at the problem solver. Forget the disease for a moment and look to the healer. Forget the sin that has got you so bound and look at the one that's come that said I've come to set you free and whom the son that made free is free indeed. Oh, there's somebody with nail prints in its hand, the thorn scars on its brow, a spear went in his side, his back is beaten. Look away to Christ. I want somebody, I want somebody to get your hands up right now and say, devil, I'm turning my back on you and all of your mess for a few minutes and I'm gonna focus my low eyes on one that said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Step number one, you got to change your focus. The second step to this mighty miracle was bad news for a beggar. Bad news for a beggar. Brother Tim, when Peter made that second utterance, he said, look on us. Get your eyes off the cup. Get your eyes off of those little withered legs. Look on us. And then he looked at that man and he said, I know what you're looking for. But I don't have what you're looking for. Silver and gold have I none. Number one, we got to change our focus. Number two, we got to change our faith. This man's faith for tomorrow. This man's faith for bread for next week was on that cup and on that crowd. But Peter said, we don't have what you're looking for. We don't have any silver and we don't have any gold. This was a statement. This was a statement. Bad news for a beggar. We could call it a negative report. The doctor said, I'm sorry. The doctor said, I'm sorry. I have no medication to cure what's wrong with you. The lawyer said, I'm sorry, but I have no legal grounds to get you out of this. My God, somebody said, Woo! What are you saying, preacher? What are you saying? Oh, I want to thank God. You know, there's rehab. 
There's all of this good stuff that's going on. I'm telling you, there, there's all the treatments. There's everything out there. And then there's God. He said, sir, you've got your eye on the wrong thing. Your faith is in the carnal. Your faith is in the natural. Your, oh, say amen to me, somebody. Your faith is in the carnal things such as money and the strength of man. It took a man to put you where you are. It'll take a man to take you back home. Oh, will somebody help me here? Somebody tell me of a good doctor. Somebody tell me of a good lawyer. Well, thank God for good doctors and good lawyers. John and I got good doctors. We've got a husband and wife team. The husband's my doctor. The wife is hers. And sometimes they'll call each other crazy and say what the other one prescribed not going to work at all. Tell me a good doctor. Tell me a good lawyer. Let me tell you, there's folks in this house tonight. There's not a doctor between here and Atlanta or Atlanta and Anchorage, Alaska can fix what's wrong with you. There's not a lawyer between here and Peking, China can get you out of the mess you're in. So what you got to do tonight, you got to realize that man's arm is short, man's power is limited, but there is a God that said my arm is not too short to reach down to where you are and my ear is not, my God, I'm a Oh, Lord. So he said, it's not in the flesh. Peter said, you got to know something. First Peter 1 and 18, he said, we are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold from our vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. But we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot my God we're not redeemed by silver and gold good doctors good lawyer woo the second step to this miracle is sir you've got to refocus your attention and now you've got to retrain your faith it's not money it's not silver it's not gold but it's that precious blood of a lamb who without blemish, without spot, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But was manifest, Peter said, in these last times for you, who by him do believe God, that raised him up from the dead, gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. The wise man Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And he shall direct thy path. Ladies and gentlemen, in this materialistic society, before we can get to the big miracle, it almost takes a small miracle to get our minds off of money and material things and say, it's not by might, not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. My God, refocus your attention on Christ. Turn your faith away from the weak and beggarly efforts of this world and look to a God. You say, preacher, I believe God ordained men and I believe that God ordained men can take care of my problem. Ladies and gentlemen, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It was God that gave that man and helped him discover penicillin. There's no doubt about that in my mind. It was God that helped men to develop the modern drugs and the, and the treatments that we have today, and we're to thank God for them. But he said every good and perfect gift. There are good gifts that God has given to men, but man has never received a perfect gift because every person that received penicillin, out of every person that ever got a dose of penicillin, some of them died. 
It's not a perfect gift. My sister's allergic to penicillin. We were children back in the 60s, 50s, 60s. Penicillin was a drug of choice. That was before we abused it and, and the bacteria grew immune. I could go to that doctor, get a shot of penicillin, get well. My sister go get a shot of penicillin, I'm allergic, and just about thinks she's going to die. Why? It's not a perfect gift. He said every good and perfect gift. Brother and sister, God has given good gifts to men, but the perfect gifts has been reserved for God. Woo! Say amen. And let me tell you something, church. When the good gifts that God has given to man is not good enough, you can turn to the God that has perfect. My God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because I can tell you that every soul, every soul that's ever knelt at the foot of an old rugged cross and asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness and believed it and accepted it have been saved. Not one. Not one's turn. My God. It's a perfect salvation. It's a perfect gift. It is a perfect healing. Turn our minds away from materialistic things and give up hope when they don't work. There's still a God that works when everything else fails. When everything else fails. Then Peter said, thirdly, such as I have, give I thee. Get your eyes off your cup, buddy, and look at me. Turn your faith away from man, money, and materialism and begin to believe God. And thirdly, the third thing he said is, he just said I don't have any money. But then he said silver and gold. Have I none? But then he said this, such as I have, give I thee. I could see that lame man, Brother Eddie, looked at Peter and said, but you just told me that you don't have any money. Hold out your hands, sir. Peter holds out his hands. There's nothing. Empty your pockets. Turn his pockets wrong side out, and there's nothing. He said and could have said, what do you got to give me? You just said silver and gold have I none. Now you said, but I got something to give you. Ladies and gentlemen, to get to that place of immediate miracle, that mighty miracle, we have to learn to believe in the invisible. We have to learn to believe in what this eye cannot see. He said, such as I have, give I thee. An old lame man looked at Peter and said, but you got nothing. I can't see anything at all, but you got nothing. Such as I have, give I thee. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank God for the powers of this world. Oh, we know everything from the power of gasoline to the atom. We understand that. We understand that. But I want you to know when we're going to receive that miracle in our life, we've got to believe in an invisible God and an invisible power, that that cannot be seen with the eye. Oh, I know, I know. You say, preacher, if I can't see it, then I can't believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, I can believe it. Oh, listen, the, the Bible, John himself, the great apostle John said, you believe in a God that you've never seen. You believe in a God. He talked about Christ and he said, whom have I not seen, yet you believe. Yes, oh God. Can we just have a little church here? You say, preacher, how can you believe in a God that you've never seen? How can you believe in an invisible power and an invisible God. How can you believe? No man can believe unless he sees. I beg to differ with you. Somewhere in this world, there's a mother that's never seen her baby. Somewhere in this world, there's a mother who's blinded in these eyes for whatever reason. She's birthed a child. She's never seen that little baby boy. But tell her he's not real. Tell her that baby's not real. Mama, you don't have a baby. Have you ever seen that baby? No. Then how do you know there's a baby? Ladies and gentlemen, 
you can believe in something you have not seen as long as you have experienced it. You can believe in something that you cannot see, but you cannot believe in something that you haven't experienced. To that little blind mama, mama, how do you know you got a baby? I've experienced this baby. I've experienced it. I carried it for nine months in my womb. I've never seen it, but I've felt it move. My God. Woo, somebody help me, preach. I've never laid eyes on it, but I've felt it move in my belly. I've never seen it, but I've felt it. As the months went by and my stomach began to grow and I felt it move from this side to this side, I've felt it. I've experienced this, baby. I want to tell you about an invisible power. I've never seen the power of God. I've never seen the face of Jesus Christ, but one day I will. But I want to tell you, I have experienced that God. I have experienced that God. And he said, sir, we're going to get you up here in a few minutes, but before we get you up, you've got to believe in a power that you can't see. You've got to believe in a power that I has not seen and ear is not. My God, somebody listen to me tonight. You're not going to see Jesus Christ walking up and down the aisles of this building. No, we'll see him when he comes back in that cloud. But I want to know, as anybody says, preacher, I feel him right now. I feel him right now. I'm experiencing him. I'm actually I feel a power that I cannot see. I believe in an invisible God. I can't see him, but I'm experiencing him right now in this house. Yeah, I got a baby. I experienced it. Yeah, I got a baby. I felt those labor pains. Yeah, I got a baby. I've taken it to the baby. I've kissed up. Sir, you've got to believe in the invisible. You've got to believe that there's a God that you can't see sitting beside you on that pew right now. You've got to believe there's a God that you can't see rode with you to church tonight. Does anybody believe that there's a heaven and there's an earth? Did you see it created? No. But you've experienced it. You've walked on this earth. You've looked up into the sky, the clouds, the stars, the sun, and the moon. That, that is invisible. That, my friend, that I cannot see, it's there. Oh, if God, if God would open your eyes and allow you to see what's in this house tonight. If God would open our eyes and allow us to look into the heavenless. My God, somebody say amen. If God would allow us to have our eyes open that we could experience and see what's here. But ladies and gentlemen, I believe it not because I see it, but because I have experienced it. There's Elisha and his servant. They're on a mountain. The army of Syria has encamped around about that mountain. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host of the Syrians come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, what shall we do? This servant of Elisha, O Gehazi, He's looking out there and all he can see is the armies and the horses of the king of Syria. And he looks at that man of God and he said, what are we going to do? Are you listening to me? Ladies and gentlemen, you got to get your eye off of what you see. What you see will kill you. What you cannot see will make you alive. What you see will destroy you. But what you cannot see will lift you up above the problems of this life. Somebody's say, my 
God, I believe, not because I see you, but because I'm experiencing. Folks, I'm telling you, there's a miracle-working God in this house tonight. There's power to raise the dead in this house tonight. But you got to believe in the invisible. That servant looked at Elisha, and he said, Oh, alas, master, how shall we do there's no way out of this mess. There's two of us, hundreds of them. We're walking in sandals. They're riding horses and chariots. We're outnumbered. We're overcome. What shall we do? The man of God answered to the servant and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they would be with them. And listen, listen. And Elisha prayed. And said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire grounded by the lash. Oh, for eyes of the Spirit, if you could see them. The servant said, I see those armies of the Syrians. The man of God said, but there's an army there that you can't see. And he miraculously opened his eyes and he said, oh, we're surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. By the eye of faith, you can see the invisible. You can see the invisible. Hells that be for us or more, he said, than they that be against us. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the thing which God has prepared for them that love him. When you walked in that building tonight, God knew where you were hurting. When you walked in that door tonight, God knew what you were up against. And God has sent a power, albeit and although it's invisible, God has sent a power to minister to that need in your life tonight. Sir, such as I have, give I thee. You can't see what I've got for you. Sir, do you believe that? Do you believe even though my hands are empty and my pockets are empty that I have something to give you? Is there anybody in this house tonight says, Preacher, you can lift one hand at least and say, I believe there's something here tonight that my eye can't see. But like a mother that's never seen her child, you're experiencing the power of God. My God. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The writer in Hebrews chapter 11 said in verse 27, speaking of Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him whom is invisible. You walk away from it tonight. Walk away from that problem. Walk away from that addiction. Walk away from it. If I could see him, preacher, I'd go to him. Moses walked away. Moses walked away because he believed that he would see him who was invisible. Does God fail a man 
that walks away from Pharaoh's palace to follow a God he can't see? Does God fail that man? Does God fail a woman that thanks a God for healing even though you can't see that God? He walked away from Egypt not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh, enduring as seeing him who is invisible. Did he ever see him? Did he ever see him? Well, I can tell you one thing. I'm not sure he ever saw God in an image like you would think of God. But when a man walked out of Egypt because he had faith in an invisible God, on the backside of a desert, he saw the evidence of that God. Maybe he didn't see God. As you would imagine, all clothed in a cloud, long flowing robes, and the glory around him. But a man that endured as seeing a God that was invisible, standing on the backside of a desert, saw evidence that that invisible God was real when he saw a bush that was burning and not consumed. You walk by faith, following an invisible God, and somewhere tonight or somewhere tomorrow or somewhere out there, I'm not going to promise you that you'll see God in a physical form, but I will promise you that you will see evidence of that invisible God. Number four. Brother, we're just about to get to that immediate. We're just about to get to that verse that said immediately his feet and ankle bones were straight. Why? Because now he's not looking at the cup. He's changed his focus. Now he's not trusting in man, money, and materialism. Now he's beginning to believe that a man that's got nothing to show him has got power to meet his need. He's believing in an invisible God. There's one more step. One more step. In the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look on us. Silver and gold have I none. You've got to believe in something you can't see, buddy. We're just about to get to verse 7. He said, and immediately his feet and ankle bones were made straight. Now he said, I know you're a cripple, and I know your legs are lame, but you've got to take a step of faith. You've got to take a step of faith. You've got to believe. I'm going to share this with you briefly. Several years ago, I was in the state of Florida in a meeting. You go to Florida, they're going to feed you seafood. That night after church, that Friday night, we brought sacks of oysters. One man shucking them and was eating them. They're good that way. I love them. Right out of that shell. Oh, yeah. I came home, Brother Eddie, my brother Andy. I came home, and in a few days, I was sick as a mule. Fever raging. Raging fever. I went to the doctor. I had some tests run. You got it right. We've got a hold of some bad oysters. Found out one of the other brothers was eating with me that night. He was in the hospital just about to death's door, and I thought I was already dead if I hadn't have been hurting so bad. 
But that doctor looked at me and he said, Sir, you've got a bacteria that's embedded itself in the lining of your colon. And there's no way to get it out. It'll be there the rest of your life, sir. There's no way to get it out. But he said, I'm going to give you some medication and we'll control it and you'll have to take it every day you live. You'll have to take this medication to keep this bacteria in the lining of your colon under control. Man, I had a bad day. I said, I went home with Arrington. I started taking that medication. I thought I was going to die. I'd take that pill in the morning two hours later. My stomach felt like it was going to kill me. Cramping, burning, and hurting. I told that girl back there, I said, I can't take this mess. She said, you got to. I said, but it can't. Sometimes. And I'm not telling anybody to do anything. I'm just telling you if you want to get to that immediate, there's got to be a step of faith somewhere. And I won't ever forget that morning that I got up and reached up in that cabinet and got that bottle of pills down. And I got a bellyache just looking at them, I think. And I looked at that pill bottle and I said, God, I can't take this. That doctor said, I can't live without it, and I can't take it. Now, what am I going to do? I put it in that cabinet, shut that door, and I looked up toward heaven. I said, God, it's up to you now. If you want me to come home, here I am. You'll have to take me. If you want me to live and preach this gospel, you'll heal me. Just a step of faith. And it was healed. Never took another one of them in my life. And never had another symptom. Sir, rise up and walk. Oh, I got to tell you one more story. On May the 10th, we were in Lydia, South Carolina. I'd preached that night on the message entitled Special Miracles. We had watched a crippled man make it labor to get into that house that night with a brace on one leg and a crutch. One crutch and a brace. Stroke victim. Yeah, first time I'd ever seen him. Okay. Oh, I need a little music, somebody. That always helps me close. I'd preached that night. We got in the altar service, Richie, and I watched this crippled man leaning on that crutch. I walked by and prayed with him, went on down the line praying with other folks. After a while, I looked, and he'd propped the crutch up on the front pew, and he's standing there with one hand lifted down. After a while, I looked back, and he was seated, Brother Eddie, on that front pew and had that leg down. I thought, dear God, what in the world is he doing? And I looked down, and he was I'm not telling you what to do, but God's got to see a demonstration of faith somewhere. If it's nothing but lifting those hands and praising God for your deliverance. And I watched him. There's that crutch. That brace had a deal go under his foot, keep that foot from dropping, and he stood it up by that crutch. And I watched a crippled man stand up on that good leg. And I watched him. Took a step. Another one. And I'm standing up there saying, Dear God, please don't let him fall. 
And he took about four or five of those labored steps. And about the time he got to where I am, the power of God hit him. And he took off running. He ran up and down that aisle. I got a letter from him last Friday. Got a correspondence from him. He said, not only did God heal my crippled leg, but he said, I got up the next morning and checked my sugar. And it had been running between three and 400. That morning it was in the 70s. Stand with me, folks. And immediately, four small steps to a mighty miracle. I'm closing with this thought. If you can take those four steps, get your eye off of your trouble and get it on Christ. Are you listening to me? Turn your faith away from men, money, and materialism and begin to believe that there's an invisible force that's working on your behalf. And then if you can find it in your heart to take a step of faith, then I believe like this lame man, you can leap out of your present condition. You can stand in your newfound power and you can walk and run in the victory of your newfound faith. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Just close your eyes and worship God.